The president has a plan to fix the student loan debt crisis, which isn't just affecting young people. According to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, as of 2015, 2.8 million people over the age of 60 have student loan debt. And if you default on a federal loan, your Social Security benefits can be garnished. So will the president's latest proposals to limit student loan borrowing, simplify repayment, and provide loan forgiveness for all help with this crisis? David Carlson is the author of Student Loan Solution, Five Step to take control of your student loans and financial life. And he joins us today to discuss it. Plus, this week, YMYW listeners have many questions about their company retirement plans and what they should do with them, including contributing to a retirement plan without an employer match, doing in-plan Roth conversions, and changing retirement accounts to protect your investment properties. But first, let's talk about those student loans. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Alan, student loan debt. Yeah, and that, that's a tough one. If you think about it this way, a lot of people that get into student debt are younger. They don't really know the, the impact of this debt, how, how it's going to kind of play out over perhaps decades of their lives. And they, they sort of go into it blindly. And it's, it's relatively easy to get student loans. And it's a big problem because people end up with big debts that they really have no uh, ability to pay. I took out student loans. I went to University of Florida, and I thought the process was, I think, maybe a little bit too easy to get the cash. Right. Because there was a couple student loans that went to Key West (laughs) with me. (laughs) I see. Okay. You know, spring break. Right. It's like, okay, well, you know, I could buy some books here, but maybe I could- A little beer money. Yeah, I could uh, wait wait to buy some books later. But you have some experience, I would imagine, having a couple kids going to school yourself, went to a fine institution. Did you just cash flow or did you have student loan? Yeah. In, in my case, fortunately, with my grandparents, my parents, and my, my own earnings, so I, I paid for that. Uh, in the case of my kids, one, we cash flowed, and the other one, we had to dip into a little bit of student loans. And, and it wasn't a terrible experience, and we didn't really do much. It was probably, over the course of four years, it was about $20,000 total. So, I mean, it wasn't like, in some cases, so, uh, you, you, know, you, you hear hundreds a of couple hundred thousand yeah. or, or more. So, it, uh, with my son's case, it wasn't a big deal. But I'll tell you, I, I mean, you and I see people all the time. And in some extreme cases, like we, we saw a dentist then a physician, and the combined student loans between the two of them were mm-hmm. 500 Six hundred thousand, and then he bought the practice, then he bought and then practice. he was over a million. Yeah, like two t- total debt was one point two million with without no mortgage. Right, they were renting. Right, they were renting, and and they were just getting their businesses starting. It's like how do you pay uh, this off? Exactly. I yeah. mean, the whole cash flow of the business yeah. was going to pay back the dental practice that he purchased, right. plus the student loan debt. Yeah, and it's like wow, you know, they're just living off of, and they have really good education, really good jobs. Sure, but. Yeah, it's still, it's going to be it's really be, difficult. It's going to be a 10-year time frame and then until you, they just get out underwater. And then you combine this, Joe, with the fact that obviously nobody wants to declare bankruptcy, but sometimes there's really no other solution in certain cases. Sure. And most debts can be forgiven in, in bankruptcy, except for student loans. Federal student loans, they stay on the books. And so it's like you can't, you can't get rid of them. So I don't know the answer to this. Um, how about if I refinance to a private loan and then file BK? Yeah, that's a good question. I I suspect that they Same. would. Well, I think no. I think no? they they might go away because they're a private loan. But I don't know that for sure. Uh, we're going to talk to David Carlson. Um, he's got a website called YoungAdultMoney.com. Um, he wrote a, a couple of different books. One was Hustle Away Debt. 
And then what we're going to talk to him about is Student Loan Solutions, Five Steps to Take Control of Your Student Loan and Financial Life. Did you see Trump uh, came out with some proposal of changing student loan repayment plans and things like that? Yes, I, I did see that. Yeah, a couple of things that they want to limit student loan borrowing. The price of college is... How, what, what, you went to University of um, UCSD, right? I did, yeah. What was the cost of UCSD? Um, University I, of California, San Diego. Yeah, well, when I went, it was, was it, a while ago. Was it 40 cents? <laughs> four, four, $4.60. <laughs> it was, if I recall, I think it was... Uh, when I went, this was in the 70s, I think it was like $250 per course, something like that. And I think by the time you did your course load and room and board, I think it was somewhere around $10,000, $12,000, something like that. Uh, no wonder why you were able to cash a lot. <laughs> All right, uh, David Carlson. David, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Hey, talk to me a little bit, because you wrote a book about it, of student loan, so I'm going to take that you know a lot more about this than I do. Well, we hear about the student loan crisis and that there's so much debt out there when it comes to student loan. Can you talk about the magnitude of what is really out there, what's legit, what's not, and how big of a crisis is this? Yeah, so currently there's $1.5 trillion of outstanding student loans, which has been a big increase, I believe, 350% since 2003. So really the past couple of decades, we've seen it just continuing to rise there's quite a bit of debt that's past due or people are late on payment. So recently, the Federal Reserve announced $166 billion is seriously delinquent, which means debt that is 90 plus days late or debt that's in default. So, I mean, it really is a big issue. It's affecting 40 plus million people. That's how many borrowers we have currently. Wow. Um, and I think that even a bigger issue is that there's not really any indication that's going to slow down anytime soon. People equate this almost to the housing crisis in a sense that, all right, well, everyone needs a college education, so let's make the student loans available to everyone. And then the universities kind of took advantage of that by raising college tuition prices. And so more and more people got into larger and larger debt. And then now it's kind of snowballing, and some of these individuals that have the debt don't necessarily have the jobs yet to pay off the loan. So what gave you this the mission of, of saying, you know what, this is what I want to do. I want to help people get the hell out of this rat hole that they're in. Yeah, I think going all the way back to when my wife and I graduated college, we both went to private universities in the Twin Cities area. So when we graduated, you know, newly fresh grads, we owed on the standard tenure repayment plan about $1,000 a month minimum, which as fresh college grads, that's, you know, a sizable amount of money. You're making probably the least you're going to make in your career. And that really kind of stuck with me and is kind of why I wrote the first book. And then the second book was specifically focused on student loan debt. So strategies to pay it down, options available to borrowers that they might not be aware of. It's a big issue. And I think that's what motivated me to actually spend the past year writing this book and putting it together, because I do think there's just so many people who need more information, need to understand their options, and just kind of have those resources to be able to confront their student loan debt. Where'd you go to school? St. Thomas? I did go to St. Thomas, yep. See, I know you're a bright kid. <laughs> yeah, I went, I'm from uh, Minneapolis myself. Are you still in the Twin Cities? I am. Yep. Are you going to hit March Madness? Are you going to go watch some games? 
I don't have tickets. I believe the cheapest ones are more than a thousand a piece. So well, I don't do think I'm going to make it to the final. Go four. in debt. Okay, David. Here's what you do. Yeah, don't pay don't your pay, student right. loan. Yeah. Right. And go out there, get a ticket, and have a good few hours. Right. Have a couple of pops and uh, call, it, and then you know just catch up next and month. And then uh, and then you'll regret it. Yes. For years. Uh, sure. A few people do that. Talk to me a little bit about um, mistakes that people make. Because I don't want to necessarily give your book away. It's a phenomenal book. I think everyone should buy it. But I think there's some mistakes that people make in regards to because it, it gets confusing. You got federal loans. You got private loans. Some people then you know you get bombarded with let's refinance. Then people are looking should I refinance? And then there's some programs out there when it comes to your income based. And I mean there's all sorts of different nuances when it comes to student loans. Can you just give me a little bit of the ABCs and some things that maybe people should look out for? like big red flags that they shouldn't do, I guess? Yeah, so let's start with student loan default. So currently there's 8 million borrowers who are in default, which is a huge number. About a quarter million each quarter join that number. So I think obviously the biggest mistake is ignoring your student loan debt because there are income-driven repayment options for that federal student loan debt. And you mentioned the housing crisis earlier, where this is a little bit unique is that student loans are very difficult to discharge in bankruptcy. And the obvious reason would be if people go into too much debt, they might just declare bankruptcy, have their slate wiped clean, and then obviously make money throughout the rest of their life that could have gone towards that debt. So it's a little bit unique in that sense where you're gonna have to repay these loans. Your wages can be garnished. Your social security can be garnished. So the biggest mistake is not confronting them. But some people, I mean, they open their bill when they graduate from college. They don't really know what options are available to them. And they, you know, laugh and say, this is crazy. I can't afford this. I'm not paying it. And they just ignore it. So that's definitely one of the biggest mistakes. And I think at any point, if you've made that mistake, you can correct it and start looking into, okay, how do I get a default? How do I get my loans current? What repayment plans are available to me? So that's a big one. The second one I would say, you mentioned refinancing. One thing that does concern me right now is how much advertising there is around refinancing. And one thing that kind of bugs me is when companies say you know, that refinancing is kind of a solution, it almost makes it sound like it eliminates your debt, but really you're getting a lower interest rate, which can save you hundreds or thousands of dollars. But if you would benefit from an income-driven repayment plan or some of the forgiveness opportunities that come with federal loans, refinancing with a private company can be a mistake because there's no going back once you do that. Hey, how does it work um, with the in income uh, repayment program? So I have $50,000 of student loans how do I qualify? Do, do I say, here's my tax return, this is what I can afford, and then they work with me? And then do they check up on me every couple of months or a couple of years to see if I'm making any more money? How, how does that process work? Yeah, so with the income-driven repayment plans, it's capped at a percentage of your discretionary income. So exactly, they take your tax return, your adjusted gross income, use that, and then there's a family size and a geographic factor that's used to calculate your poverty level for where you live, how many people are in your family, and then that's used to calculate your discretionary income. And with these income-driven repayment plans, 
some of them do require you to have a low enough income where it would actually benefit you to take advantage of them. But there are some plans where they got rid of that hardship requirement. So it's easier to jump into it. So really, they're available to anybody with federal student loans. And they can be beneficial, especially, and I don't know if we want to go down this rabbit hole, but with public service loan forgiveness, where if you have federal direct loans and you work for a 501c3 nonprofit or a government employer, and you're on a qualified income-driven repayment plan, if you make payments for 10 years, so 120 monthly payments, they don't have to be consecutive you do get tax-free loan forgiveness. So that's really a big benefit. But also, even if you're working for a for-profit and you can't afford your student loans, it's better to jump on the income-driven repayment plan. It doesn't mean you have to stay on it forever. And you can make extra payments towards your debt even while you're on that income-driven plan. So I have to work for a nonprofit for 10 years. And then after that 10 years is done, then they'll forgive the loan. Yeah. And I think one thing I didn't address in my previous answer, you do have to recertify your income annually. So once a year so that the government knows how much money you're making. And the easiest way to do that is just using your tax return because it's verified. It's something simple that can be referenced. If you do lose your job or you have a drop in income, you can submit earlier than that annual recertification and provide documentation of that to lower your payment. But for most people, using your tax return annually recertifying is the way to go. And if you don't do that, you do potentially get booted off of the income-driven plans and put back on that standard 10-year repayment plan. There's a proposal by our president talking about changing a little bit of uh, student loans and how the payment process is going to work. And there's a few things in here that I find a little bit interesting. I was curious on what your take is. Um, He's talking about maybe eliminating public service loan forgiveness. So I guess if I have a student loan and if I go into public service, similar to what what we were talking about, then if I work there, then they will forgive the loan. But he's saying, hey, let's get rid of that and maybe have loan forgiveness for all. Is that accurate? Yeah, that sums it up. Obviously, with this topic, it's pretty complicated quickly. But currently, there is loan forgiveness, even if you're not in public service, but it does take 20 years with undergrad debt, and in most cases, 25 years if you have any graduate debt, but that isn't tax-free. So the way I interpreted the White House's proposal is get rid of public service loan forgiveness, and honestly, I think a big part of that is the fact that it's tax-free, because with this new plan, they're going to up the percentage of your income because right now there's income-driven plans where it factors in about 10% is pretty common, but they want to make it universally 12.5%. And then again, this is interpretation because they didn't put out a ton of detail about these proposals. But after 15 years, it doesn't matter who your employer is, who you've been working for, but you will have loan forgiveness at that point if you have only undergrad. The issue with that is that If it is taxed, let's think of somebody who uh, has very low income but high debt. Eventually, they get to this 15 years and they get this big forgiveness amount, but they're also going to get a big tax bill that goes with it. And I think there'll be many instances where that individual won't be able to afford it. And there's also another aspect to this in the sense that if you have any graduate debt, I believe the proposal is 30 years until you can get forgiveness. Again, for some of those lower paid employees, they're going to have 
interest that's accruing over that 30 years. And they might get this huge, you know, loan forgiveness amount of say, let's just use 300K as an example, but they're going to have to pay debt as if they had made 300K that year. So unless they've been planning for three decades for that big tax bill, um, I think we're going to have some big issues with that. Of course they will be planning. Isn't that how everybody plans? (laughs) Yeah, right. One last thought I have. Al and I see a lot of people that are approaching retirement or in retirement, and some of the the staggering statistics that come across our desk is that a lot more people that are claiming Social Security benefits are having some of their Social Security benefits withheld because, because of, of the student, student loan yeah, debt. Because yeah, because of the student loan debt. So they've been helping their kids out, or maybe they went back to school. So your book is not necessarily only for individuals that are right out of school. I think it's universal if you're 65 years old and you still have student loan debt, or if you're 22 years old and just graduating. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's an unfortunate trend, but really across every generation, we're seeing higher and higher levels of student loan debt. And the book really just lays out the options regardless of what type of debt you have or um, how much, what your age is really just digging into it and learning about your options and opportunities is important. We're talking to David Carlson Young. Adultmoney.com is his website. Latest book, Student Loan Solution, Five Steps to Take Control of Your Student Loans in Financial Life. David, one last question. With Hustle Away Debt, what's your favorite side hustle? I mean, this is going to be kind of your typical answer, but I'd say blogging just because both of these books have come out of blogging. I've been able to make a decent side income doing that. So it's not easy, but if you enjoy writing and kind of building, you know, a small business, blogging can be a great side hustle. Uh, David, hey, great work. Appreciate what you're doing. A lot of people need your help. So uh, check him out at youngadultmoney.com, youngadultmoney.com. That's David Carlson. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Read the transcript of this interview and find links to David's website and his books, Student Loan Solution and Hustle Away Debt, in the show notes for today's podcast episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Next week on the podcast, we're talking about ATM fraud because I was a victim. We'll talk about how it happens, what to do when it does, and how to avoid it in the future. And if you haven't subscribed to YMYW, what are you waiting for? It's free, and you can listen to the podcast whenever you want. Links to subscribe and share are at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, too, along with the all-important Ask Joe and Al on air button. You'll have to scroll down the page to find it, but then when you do, click it and send your money questions or comments to the fellas as a voice message or an email, and they'll respond right here on Your Money, Your Wealth. And their answers might even be helpful. I got Tracy from Chicago. She says, I'm 48 and my spouse is 50. I recently returned to work, and our combined income will be about $200,000. So the spouse, the 50-year-old, has a pension and $185,000 in a 401k plan with 45% pre-tax, 25% post-tax. I have two hundred and a quarter in a traditional IRA and $35,000 in a traditional solo 401k. We would like to retire in about 10 years. This year, Alan, is what they're going to do. We're going to max out our traditional 401ks and spouse does catch-up contributions, 19025 um, with our lower AGI and tax savings, including AOC. Any idea? Um, no. Okay. Uh, we will also max out our Roth IRAs, 6000 and 7000 
and contribute an additional 13k for retirement. I know how you feel about Roth versus traditional, but most scenarios assume you'll spend the tax savings, not invested in a Roth IRA as we are doing. Please discuss. <sighs> Tracy, I don't know what you're asking. Well, let me just, one thing right off the bat, uh, 75% pre-tax, 25% post-tax. You've got those numbers wrong. 75% pre-tax, mm -hmm. 25% post-tax. You said 45% pre-tax, just in case we have accountants on there out there wondering, what the heck? I think he's losing his hearing <laughs> is what I'm... Okay, we'll have to go back on the tape. It, it is recorded. I, you, I, I just wanted to say real quick, I checked the uh, AOC, American Opportunity Tax Credit. A qualified education expense paid for. Oh, American Opportunity Credit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they okay. got kids that they're putting through school. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Cool. Thanks, Andy. Sure. Well, I guess first of all... Um, i never seen it as capital A dot O dot C before. Me neither, but... No, when I looked it up, it actually comes up as A-O-T-C, so... Oh. Oh, close enough. Okay. Yeah. So the fact that you and your spouse are maxing out 401ks, bravo. Uh, the fact that it gets the um, your AGI down low enough to do Roth contributions, fantastic. This is this is great. Our job is done almost, Joe. Except she she wants us to discuss. We we talk about putting money into Roth IRAs. I know how you feel, and she I know how you feel about Roth IRAs. But most scenarios assume you will spend the tax savings, not invest it uh, in the Roth IRA, as we are doing. Okay. Please discuss. Yeah. I guess what you know what we've talked about before is that again this is when people get kind of half the information a little bit sure is the the, the purpose of saying spending the tax savings is that all right well let's say if you have a traditional IRA I have a Roth IRA right and we put the same amount of dollars in you have the tax savings I don't have the tax savings yeah so I, th I and, think and the, the assumption is is that let's say if you saved you know a few thousand dollars in tax a year by putting it into the 401k most people spend that tax savings because their paycheck is larger because they got it pre-tax and then sure. it's like okay instead of you know having a, a lower paycheck because I didn't get the tax savings on each paycheck that I put my contributions into the Roth and you went pre-tax and you got a little bit that that check is still gone. I right. saved into my 401k, I paid myself first, and then I spent everything else. I'm doing the same thing, but what I'm doing is I'm foregoing the tax deduction. I'm just spending less money than Alan because I have a lower paycheck because I didn't get the tax deduction going into the Roth. Yeah. And then if you fast forward 10, 20, 30 years, all of my money sitting in a Roth IRA, Alan's money's now sitting in a 401k plan. When I pull my dollars out, I pay it tax-free. I'm not remembering that, oh, my gosh, my paycheck was a little bit lower each week or each month or each biweekly, whatever I get paid, because I forego the tax deduction in that given year or the previous years because I, I spent what my paycheck was. You, on the other hand, are going to feel it a lot more than me because now when you take your dollars out, you're going to be paying tax. you got a million dollars in a 401k plan. You don't have a million dollars because you have to pay tax on the money coming out. I have a million dollars in my Roth account. It's 100% mine. That's the difference. Right. I think what she's getting at, though, is, and we do say this, we, we say go Roth if you can, because most people spend their savings uh, on, the, you know, on what they save tax-wise. And she's saying, well, we, we, don't, we wouldn't really spend it. So does that still apply to us? And the answer is yes. It still applies to you because 
you have money in a Roth IRA that's going to grow tax-free, which you're going to really appreciate down the road. So, um, number two, I believe my employer will allow reverse rollover from my traditional IRA and solo 401k into my employee 401k. Uh, I am just learning about this possibility and we'll love to hear your thoughts. Sure. I mean, if you want to consolidate and just put everything into your own employer-sponsored plan, um, I don't see why that's an issue. Um, Let's say if you were above the AGI limits where you could not contribute to Roth IRAs, uh, we would highly recommend that you do that because then you could do a non-deductible IRA and then convert that directly into a Roth IRA and avoid the pro rata and aggregation rules when it comes to the backdoor Roth contributions. Yeah, I would agree. That That's the reason most people do that is so that they can get rid of their IRAs because their income is too high to qualify for a Roth IRA contribution. So the, the workaround is to, if you don't have any IRAs, and 401ks do not count in this calculation, if you don't have any IRAs, you can do a non-deductible IRA and then convert that. It's the same impact as a Roth contribution. It's just kind of a backdoor way to do it. Yeah, it's just a, a roundabout way. Yep. Um, I like these terminologies we're getting. Reverse rollover. Yeah. Uh, 20 years. Never heard that one before. Yeah, it's, it's good there. <laughs> that, I, 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 knew, I, think, I think I got that one. No, I, I, I did. I understand what she was saying, or yeah. he was saying. Um, but yeah. reverse rollover. Yeah, so go for it, Tracy. Um, by all means, if you, wanna, if you like your 401k plan um, and you want to have one statement, uh, but you, you know, of course, you just got to check out the fees and costs. You got to check out the the limitations of the plan. You want to see um, all, all sorts of things. W- would I do it personally? Probably not. Um, I like um, you know our employer plan is you know through uh, a company, and my investments are at a different company. I mean, I keep track of it the same way, but I mean. Well, I think in general, there's you have more investment opportunity, investment choices in an IRA than a 401k. Sure, and that's not always the case. Some 401ks have brokerage features where it's kind of unlimited, but most they'll, the the plan sponsor administrator will pick twenty to forty different investments, and you got to pick one of those. Uh, we got Scott from New York City. Well, it doesn't say New York City; it just says New York. Uh, good day. He's maybe he's from Australia. It could be. Uh, Good day, and thanks for the podcast. All right. My question is, do you still advise contributing to a company 401k or 457, even if the company does not provide you any any matching funds? Since I work for a state agency, there is no matching. However, I have a pension that I contribute to, which amounts to about 5% of my income each year. Would you suggest contributing to some funds to the 401? or 457, or some funds to an IRA or some combination. I like the tax deductibility, but I would also like the free money. But seems you can't have both working for the state. Thanks for your time. Um, all right. So he's asking, he's got a 401k 457 plan through the state of uh, the good state of New York. They're not matching any funds, but he will have a state pension uh, that he's contributing into. Correct. So... I, I would say absolutely. You want to take advantage of all savings plans that you have available to you because um, even if they don't match, I mean, a lot of companies don't match. Yeah, I, 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 and a lot of companies don't even have plans, plans at all, right? So I would agree with you, Joe. I think the uh, – and furthermore, like a lot of 401K plans have Roth options and, and even, you know – so think of this this alternative, either not contributing at all – 
or contributing to a Roth. It's the same tax consequence, but now you got a whole bunch of money in a Roth IRA, Roth 401k, that will be tax-free in the future. So that seems like a no-brainer. It, it does. It depends upon your tax bracket and, and a whole bunch of things. It depends how much you've already saved and, and things of that sort. But it, it just a general answer is yes, take advantage of the savings vehicles that you have as long as you can afford them. Yeah, out of sight, out of mind is really good. Um, there's so many different statistics out there is that for individuals that do have a, um, a 401k, 457, 403b, any type of employer-sponsored plan, um, as they approach retirement, they have much more uh, in regards to wealth and liquid assets than someone that didn't necessarily have it, even though that they had the same income or same salary. Yeah, and that happens because of the fact that out of sight, out of mind, and a, a lot of us, most of us, maybe not all, but most of us, they, we kind of get to whatever our paycheck is. It's like we kind of know that's in our checking account, and we figure out ways to spend it. Maybe we save some, but it's hard to be super disciplined. And as you get raises, you, you tend to spend a little bit more. If you can autopilot that and have money go to the 401k, or in this case, the 457 or both, then out of sight, out of mind, and it's it's saved. Yeah, I would look at you know a, a few things. Is I, I'm not familiar if the the state of California, uh, state of California, uh, if the state of New York um, does have a Roth option in the 401k plan. Um, you know that's something to look into, Scott. Uh, if they do, you, you probably want to beef up. I would say on it, it depends on what how many years to retirement. It sounds like. There's probably a few years here because he's just kind of now investigating his retirement plans. Uh, but if he's going to have a pension, what we've found is that people that have a, a decent sized pension, uh, they don't, they're not necessarily good savers, right? Uh, because they're like, well, here, I, I have a really good pension. And then we find out that you know, they just bank everything on the pension. Right, because they, they feel like they don't have to save. They don't have to save. Or they think that was their savings. Sure. Right? Hey, I'm putting 5% into my pension. Well, are you still putting into Social Security? Sometimes when we see state um, plans, depending on the state, is that they don't put into Social Security. They only put into the, uh, the state pension. And so then they'll get the state pension benefits, but they don't get Social Security. And then they're thinking, well, wait a minute. I thought I was going to get both. Right. Um, and So you need to do a little bit more due diligence here, Scott. But if you have the excess capital or cash flow to do it, absolutely look into it. Do you want to do an IRA? Like Al said, yeah, Roth. Um, because if I have a larger pension, you know, it'd be nice to supplement that income potentially with some tax-free income to go along with it. So um, even though you got f- no free money, uh, there is no free lunch. <laughs> okay. Scott. I got a quick question here. Follow Normally up. with the or- order of savings, we talk about pay off debt, then contribute to the company match, and then Roth IRA, and then go back to the, uh, the 401k or whatever the company plan is. What would be the order of events if there is no match involved? Uh, well, it depends on if what's his income. Um, if there's no um, match involved, and if he has a Roth 401k option, uh, then it, it depends on his taxable income. Yep. Um, because it's so much easier to put money into a 401k plan or a 457 plan versus to establish a Roth IRA through Fidelity, Vanguard, TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab. And then if someone thinks of that, they're like, oh, I don't want to do that, whatever. Free. I'll do it next year, next year, whatever. I, you know, in this case, maybe you go to the 401k first, see what the income is, and then if they're savvy enough, then open up the Roth. Yeah, I agree with that. Because, And here's why. It's because that when you try to open up a, a Roth IRA, let's say before April 15th of the following year, so this this year, 2019, it's $6,000. Right. Then it's like to write a check for $6,000 is a lot more difficult than to have 
you know, hundred dollars or, or two hundred dollars withdrawn from each paycheck, you right. hardly you hardly miss it. You don't really see it. Exactly. And I think to to piggyback Joe on one of your comments, I, I think we a lot of people that we see that have pension plans and they they have good pension plans and they have so they have a lot of ordinary income that puts them in a higher tax bracket. Those folks that have been able to put money into a Roth IRA, whether it is a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k, are generally pretty happy because they have some tax diversification. It's those folks that don't have a pension plan where then they, they might want to have a little bit more balance. But those that have a larger pension plan, if they can favor the Roth, that's often a good strategy. Right, because how tax brackets work is that you fill up certain brackets you know, with the income that you're deriving from your um, investment sources. If I already have a fairly large pension, um, that might already put me up into, let's say, the 22% tax bracket. Right. Where yeah. if I have a 401k plan, I could say, you know what, I'm only going to pull from the 401k plan to the top of the 12% tax bracket, but any additional income that I need, I'll just take from other sources, cash, my taxable account, or my Roth account. So there's more diversification there. But what we found is that, let's say if I'm a really good saver and I also have a large pension, Right now you're you're stuck in a higher bracket, and then all your dollars that you saved were in these retirement accounts. It's going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. Um, a lot of that money could be uh, lost to tax unnecessarily. Scott, check the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com for video of Joe and Big Al answering your question there. And speaking of tax, April 15th is right around the corner and taxes are due even if you filed for an extension until October 15th. Now, before you file, click special offer this week at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download the 2018 tax checklist for a list of all the documentation you'll need and some important things to consider before you file your 2018 taxes. Click special offer or find the download link in the podcast show notes for today's episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Now, more of those company retirement plan questions. If you've got money questions of any kind for the fellas, scroll down the page at yourmoneyyourwealth.com until you see the Ask Joe and Al on air button. Click that and send them a voice message or an email. Uh, we got Todd from Chicago. Um, he says, hi, Joe and Al. Listen from the Chicago area. Love the show. I love Chicago, Todd. Maybe next time I'm there, we can... Uh up we talk finance that, that would be fun that would be a lot of fun i'm sure i'm sure <laughs> we have a couple um you know uh i've learned a lot well maybe are you sure you're listening to this show <laughs> he's he's thinking of another show I, he's I gotta be there's gotta be a joe and Allen chicago somewhere <laughs> um my question is i'm a firefighter 46 years old i have a 457 plan uh, we're adding a roth 457b option to the plan can I do a Roth ladder conversion within the plan? In other words, can I slowly convert my existing pre-tax 457B money into the Roth 457? My employer does not offer any kind of matching funds. I know I will create a taxable event and will be careful not to push myself into the next higher bracket. I just wasn't sure if the IRS allows this plan, uh, this type of uh, in-plan conversion. Uh, thanks. Todd, I'd like uh, your thought process there. Interplan conversions. I know that it was, what year? 2015? Where that, yeah. Where the law changed? Yeah, something like that. Where you can now do interplan uh, convert. No, it's probably 2012. Because, what, 2010 was the start of conversions without the modified adjusted gross income of 100, right? That is correct. And then a few years after that, um, they said you can now convert interplan. 
Yeah, well, they, I think they said that you, you that employers should start offering a, a Roth option in a plan, and then part of that was you could convert in plan. Yeah, the the Roth options, four hundred one ks, four four hundred three bs, and everything else was in the Pension Protection Act of 06. TIPRO was actually signed in 05, but none of this stuff happened like for 10 years later. Right. Right? But like the, the ability to do a Roth IRA conversion with a modified adjusted gross income of over $100,000 was actually signed to bill in 05, but didn't come into effect till 2010. Right. There's still, I don't know, so many different employers that do not have a Roth 401k plan option or Roth uh, provision in their 401k plan. When the law was passed in 2006 to allow plans to do this, um, and then in 2012, it allowed plans then to convert interplan because the laws changed quite a bit now with retirement plans. Is that before you could do a conversion, move money from an IRA to um, a Roth or a 401k to a Roth, it had to touch an IRA. So if I had a 401k, I could not directly convert a 401k to a Roth IRA. It would have to go IRA and then IRA to Roth IRA. Right. Right. And then they changed that law, and they said, okay, now all plans can directly get converted into a Roth IRA. So if I had a 457, 401k, 403b, I could take the 401k plan, convert it directly to a Roth IRA. Then they said, all right, well, instead of going, you know, to um, if, if you have a Roth provision inside your plan, we'll make it really easy on you. You can convert inside your plan. So the law stated, all right, I have a 401k plan. That's pre-tax. I have a Roth 401k plan. Can I do an interplan conversion? Can I take money from that plan, convert it into the Roth component? But the law stated then that it was irrevocable. So if you did that conversion, there was no recharacterization. Sure. Then and now the, the the law keeps progressing on us. Right. And then just with the Jobs Act um, that was signed, what, a year and a half ago, they said no more recharacterizations of any type. Of any type, right? Except for contributions. Except for yeah, because if you make too much income, <laughs> right. and then they don't want the money in the wrong. Yeah. So, so Todd, the answer is the IRS allows it, and I'd say most plans, but not all. Not all plans allow it. So you're gonna have to check with your plan to see if they allow that kind of thing. But we do encourage you. That's a it's a good idea. So let's dive deeper into that though Al because here's what is another confusing fact when it comes to retirement accounts is that the IRS will say one thing but it's the plan document supersedes what the IRS says that is correct and and so the, the IRS says you can do this but but the it's plan specific so the plan itself is going to designate what can and can't be done and the plan needs to follow the IRS regulations and rules they can't come up with like a new separate rule and say oh now you can convert to a Roth and not pay tax They're, they can't do that right right but they but they don't necessarily have to put in the plan everything that the IRS allows and that's where there can be a problem and the reason for that probably is that because the law changes often and then that they would have to restate or all re- the time you yeah, know right. they would have to continue to go to their third party administrator right. and pay a bunch of fees to say hey let's we want to comply with this law we want to comply with that law so they would constantly have to be changing their overall plan right um, that's probably true right that's a guess yeah. but I, I would see why they wouldn't yeah um, but yeah, Todd, I'm not familiar with um, 457 plans in Chicago. So what I would do um, is talk to the plan administrator and just give them a buzz and say, hey, can I do the conversion? By law, you can. Uh, so you can, it, it, the law was, I forget the name of the act, but it was 2012, I believe. Uh, but for sure, you can do it by law, but it's up to the plan. Um 
And if they don't, I would say, hey, let's do this. I mean, because now all plans with the whole fiduciary rule and everything else, um, you know, I think if enough people said something, uh, they would probably act. And so uh, appreciate your Chicago Fire here. Yeah, right. It's one of my favorite shows. (laughs) So Todd's out there making things happen in Chicago. Appreciate your service out there, fighting fire, saving lives. Uh, 46-year-old. He's probably only got, what, maybe nine more years, then he's retired. Right. Right. He's got a nice pension, and then he's going to have a big, fat Roth IRA from your money or wealth. You bet. Um, All right. Uh, Christine writes in. uh, She goes, hello, my employer is changing the company that handles our 401k investments from Prudential to Fidelity. In the past, when they have changed companies, they move our investments to like investments in new company. Sometimes I was sometimes I was happy with choices. In some cases, change them. I'm just reading how she wrote it, brother. <laughs> Is this how you speak? <laughs> Should I be moving all into cash in my plan now and then direct money when it is moved into new company? Thank you, Advance, for your advice. Uh, my opinion, Christine, is no. Just stick with what you have right now, and they'll, they'll if they move you into something similar, great. Then at least you're invested in something similar. Then if you, you don't like it, change it at that point. Right now, if you go into cash right now, you might miss a market movement and and completely regret that. So what Christine is referring to is that her money's at Prudential, and let's say she's in Prudential mutual funds, or there's funds in that Prudential plan that when Fidelity takes over the plan, they don't have those same mutual funds within the so Fidelity plan. So they got to put it in a substitute the, yeah, investment. So, so they're going to say, we're going to sell this large cap growth fund that you have in the Prudential plan, and we're going to buy something similar within the Fidelity plan. Right. And so she's thinking, hey, should I just go into cash? So when it goes to the new plan, it just goes from cash to cash, yeah, then and I, then, then I, I reinvest. Figure it out. Um, I agree with you. Wholeheartedly, Al, is that just keep it fully invested. They do a pretty good job of matching up the funds within the same asset classes, then, yeah, if you don't like the choices, then change it um, as you see fit. We got River. <laughs> I wonder if he's named after River Phoenix. <laughs> Could be. Doesn't We don't know where River's from. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, she didn't give us that information. Uh, you know where River Phoenix was from? Uh, no. Gainesville, Florida. Okay. I almost kicked Joaquin Phoenix out of the bar <laughs> that I worked at. <laughs> wow. Got it. Okay. He came in at like 2 o'clock in the morning and looked homeless. Did he really? Yeah. And I was like, hey, buddy, sorry. We yeah, can't, we can't serve you. We can't serve you. <laughs> well, was, we we're closing. Oh. So I gave him a sweet tea to go. Got it. You ever had sweet tea? Probably. It's tea with like a pound Tons of, of pen, 10 of, pounds of, of sugar. Yeah, of sugar. <laughs> um, it's a very popular thing in the South. Is it? Yeah. I guess not then. All right. Hello, Joe and Big Al. I love the podcast. It's both educational and fun. I can't wait to listen to it every week. Well, thank you, River. That's very kind of you. Keep up the good work, and thank you for sharing your knowledge. I appreciate it very much. My husband has an old 401k, and I'm not sure if we should convert it to an IRA or uh, for more choice funds, ETFs, etc. Uh, we have several rental properties which are properly insured and maintained, and tenants are required to purchase renter's insurance. We also have an umbrella policy of about a million bucks to cover the properties. I heard that in case we get sued, not likely, then the funds in a 401k is better protected than an IRA. How about a Roth IRA? Is there better protection in Roth? We plan to retire in two to three years and wanted to cover as much money as possible to Roth after retirement when the W-2 income is gone. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Uh, River, 
uh, she's on it. Yes, she is. Yeah, you are absolutely right. There is more creditor protection uh, in a 401k because it's under ERISA than an IRA. However, uh, there's the protection that will still carry over from an 401k if you do roll it into an IRA. Uh, for certain things in certain states. Right. Well, since I don't know where River is calling from or emailing from, it's hard. It, I, we can't really give her the exact answer. That's true. But we can say if uh, she's in California, then I don't know the exact figure, but it's around 1.2 million, yeah, 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 1.3 right. million, something like that. One to two million. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, so probably one million to one and a half. Sure. Actually, some somewhere in that range, you can actually roll from a four hundred one k to an IRA and get the same protection. This, this is this is what uh, this is relatively new. I mean, this is just a few years ago where this came into being. So, and then the the Roth IRA, it it's uh, it depends, right? Because it it depends whether it was originally a four hundred one k or a Roth. Right. And but. It, it, you have to look at the statute of all right. Is it creditor protection? Is it criminal? You know, if you do something and all of a sudden it's you know um, you get sued because of of criminal activity, uh, that's something different than if you were looking. You know, if someone um, you know a creditor was was looking to get at some of the capital. Yeah, and each state is a little bit different, but I guess in general terms, if you believe that. You're you're no, you know. Hey, you could get sued, I guess, for rentals. Uh, but you have a lot of rentals, Al. Would that exclude you from moving money into a Roth IRA? Uh, it would not. What I would do instead is I would put, put my rentals LLC. in, in LLCs. Yep. I, I like the umbrella, but I would take that extra coverage uh, and not coverage, but that extra step of putting maybe a property into an LLC or maybe a couple properties into an LLC. So if something goes terribly wrong with a property then the lawsuit's limited to the assets inside that LLC. And we're not attorneys, so we're, we're, we're just doing our best here. But that's, that's what I would do. I wouldn't worry too much about the protections of the 401k personally. But I, 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 if I was concerned about liability, I, I would open up some LLCs. And it's, in California, you have to pay $800 per year per LLC, so it's not cheap. But it might be worth it for protection. Yeah. So if you're looking to, all right, slowly convert um, money from a 401k into the into the Roth, um, and you're worried about uh, getting sued, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, you just kind of limit the liability to the overall limited liability company that owns that property. Right. Um, and it's a flow through, so everything's kind of the same, except for you got a little bit of a, um, right, a fee to pay to the state. Correct. And that's in another tax return? Yeah, although if it's a single-member LLC, it's a, you don't even file a federal return, and, and it's, it's like a three-page state return, just so you can pay your $800 is what it's for. Yeah. When, when, do, when would you have to file a full return for the LLC? If, if you had another partner that wasn't you and your spouse. Got it. Yeah. It has no bearing on uh, income or anything no, like that? No, no it's, it's just a single-member versus multi-member, I guess. All right, hopefully that answers your question. 
For Big Al Clopi and I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Thanks a lot for listening. Special thanks to today's guest, David Carlson. For more information about David and his latest book, Student Loan Solution, find links in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, where you'll also find links to share and subscribe to the YMYW podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, listen on YouTube, or whatever your favorite podcast app may happen to be. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free two-meeting financial assessment with a certified financial planner, just click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Side note, I got a chance to meet millennial millionaire Grant Sabatier last weekend when his Financial Freedom Book Tour hit San Diego. I posted a photo on Twitter if you care to check it out. It's at Andy Podcast or at YMYW Show. That's A-N-D-I Podcast or YMYW Show on Twitter. We'll see you next week, friends.